السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد کریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری و یسرلی امری وحل العقدتم السانی یبقہ قولی ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل وسلم على نبينا محمد باب فان تابوا واقاموا الصلاه واتوا الزكاه فخلوا سبيلهم chapter فان تابوا this is a verse from the quran which is in surah at-tawbah ayah number 5 imam bukhari mentions a part of the ayah as the chapter heading the chapter title we learned earlier that sometimes imam bukhari used a part of the hadith as a chapter heading And sometimes he leaves it blank. And other times we see that what is he using? Part of an ayah of the Qur'an. Part of a verse. And this verse is in Surah At-Tawbah. And the meaning of this verse, فَإِن تَابُوا So if they repent, وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ And they establish the prayer, وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ And they give the zakah, فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ Then leave their way. Who is this ayah talking about? Do you remember the context of Surah At-Tawbah? The beginning verses of Surah At-Tawbah. The declaration of association of Bara'ah. That the mushrikeen had only four months in which they were allowed freedom and after which, what would happen? If they had accepted Islam, then they would be able to stay there. But if they had not accepted, then the command was that they had to be killed. Isn't it so? We have learned about that and we learned about the reasons as well. There is no need to go over the reasons again. So you're familiar with the background. So anyway, what do we see over here? That if they repented, meaning if the mushrikeen repented, repented from what? Their disbelief and became believers. And established the salah as well as they gave the zakat. Then what does Allah say? Leave their way, meaning let them be. Don't, don't fight them, don't kill them, don't restrict them. Rather accept them as believers. So this ayah, what is this? It is jumla, shartiyah. There's a shart over here, fa'in tabu. It's a condition, which means that once the condition is fulfilled, once the condition is met, which is tabu wa aqamu salata wa atu zakata, then it is wajib on the believers that what should they do? They should let these people free. Why? Because they have become believers. What does this ayah show to us? That iman is what? Declaration of faith as well as performing certain actions. It is not sufficient that a person just says the kalima, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. He also has to show his iman. And how will he show that? Through his salat and zakat. When these conditions are met, then that means a person is a believer, his Islam is acceptable. And when these conditions are not met, then his Islam is not acceptable. So iman includes Certain a'mal, it demands, it requires certain actions. Those actions, they mean presence of Islam. And the absence of those actions, what does that mean? Absence of Islam. That Islam is not acceptable. So Imam Bukhari is proving that over here by this ayah and also a hadith to further clarify this. And what's the hadith? حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ مُحَمَّدٍ الْمُسْنَدِيُّ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ رَوْحٍ الْحَرَمِيُّ بْنُ عُمَارَةَ قال حدثنا شعبة عن واقد بن محمد قال سمعت أبي قال سمعت أبي I heard from my father يحدث he was narrating from who? عن ابن عمر from ابن عمر رضي الله عنه What did he narrate? 
that Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Umirtu, I was commanded from Amr. I was instructed to do what? An uqatila, that I should fight. Uqatila, this is from qital. And remember, qital is different from qatil. Qatil is to kill, but qital is to fight. So I have been instructed that I have to fight who? Anasa, the people. I have to fight the people. Hatta until yashhadu, they bear witness, Allah ilaha illallah, that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah. Wa anna Muhammad rasulullah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the messenger of Allah. Wa yuqimu salata, and they establish the salah. Wa yu'tu zakata, and they give the zakah. فَإِذَا فَعَلُوا ذَلِكَ So when they do that, when they do that, what? Declaration of faith, performance of prayer, and giving the zakat. When they do all of this, عَصَمُوا minni, They have saved from me. عَصَمُوا عَيْن صَادْ ميم. لَا عَاصِمَ الْيَوْمِ عَاصِم One who saves. So عَصَمُوا They have saved minni from me. دِمَاءَهُمْ Their blood. وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ And their properties. So when they do this, their lives and their properties are saved from me. Illa except bihaqil Islam with the right of Islam. Meaning while except if when they become Muslim, if they do something wrong which requires some punishment, which means their life is going to get affected or their wealth is going to get affected, then that is something different. You understand what it means by Illa bihaqil Islam? That when a person is a Muslim, his life and property is safe. Unless if he commits a crime Hmm? which requires that his life and property are affected. For example, if a person kills another, then there is capital punishment for that, isn't it? Similarly, if a person steals, then what's the punishment? His hand has to be cut off. And whatever he stole has to be given back. Isn't it so? So there are certain punishments which affect a person's life as well as his property. So, إِلَّا بِحَقِّ الْإِسْلَامِ وَحِسَابُهُمْ And their account... Who will call them to account? Allah upon Allah. Meaning, on the apparent, we will accept them as believers when they do these things. And the matter of their heart, who knows about that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because a person might say, oh, so-and-so is becoming a Muslim just to protect himself. But still, we are to accept them on their apparent. We are not to judge their hearts. Remember at one of the battles, at one of the... Skirmishes that happened between the Muslims and the non-Muslims. One person, he said that he was a Muslim. And the Sahabi, he killed him saying, and he later said that he just said it to protect himself. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? Did you look into his heart? Did you see what was in his heart? You don't know what is in the heart. You're supposed to accept people on the surface. Now, what do we learn in this hadith? What we learn from this hadith and this ayah that is mentioned over here is the purpose why this is being mentioned is that Islam, Iman, requires certain actions. Certain actions, they are an evidence of a person's Islam. They are an evidence that a person is a Muslim, that he has accepted Islam. And those actions are what are mentioned over here. When a person fulfills them, when a person does them, then he is saved. In the ayah, what do we learn? فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ In the hadith, what do we learn? عَصَمُوا مِنِّي That a person is safe. And in the hadith, Specifically what is mentioned is that umirtu an uqatila, I have been commanded that I should fight. What is meant by fighting here is that such people will be considered unbelievers. Who will be considered unbelievers? 
those who don't declare the shahada, who don't pray, who don't give the zakat. Because who are you to fight? Muslims? No. Who are you to fight? Those who don't believe. Isn't it so? And what is meant by this is that such people will be considered as unbelievers and when the need arises, then they will be fought against. When the need arises, then they will be fought against. And remember, many people, they misquote this hadith, they misunderstand this hadith, saying that, oh, look at this. Islam teaches that kill all people unless they accept Islam. Hmm? But this hadith should be understood properly. This hadith is not general. We cannot understand it in a general sense. What this hadith means is that such people will be considered unbelievers. Who is considered an unbeliever? The one who doesn't pray, who doesn't give zakat. Who is considered a believer? The one who does these actions. Previously we learned that Islam is based on five pillars. And in order to be a Muslim, a person has to perform those five pillars in order to maintain his Islam. This hadith and this verse show to us that of the five pillars, the most important ones are which ones? Shahada, Salah, and Zakat. These are of utmost importance. If a person abandons them, if a person says that no, they're not necessary, I don't need to do them, this is not a part of Islam, then Islam acceptable? It's not acceptable. If a person abandons them, rejects them, then his Islam is not acceptable. And if a person performs them, only then his Islam is acceptable. Now, this does not mean that if a person is not praying out of laziness or out of heedlessness, you say they are kafir. No. person is only a kafir when he says, zakat is not a part of Islam. Salah is not mandatory. You don't have to pray. You don't have to give zakat. That is kufr. Okay? But if a person says, yeah, I know salah, I, sh- I should be praying, but I don't. I know I should be praying, but I don't. That person is not committing kufr. So just because a person is not praying, don't go on saying, see, kafir, 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 kafir. No. If a person says salah is not in Islam, zakat is not necessary, that is kufr. Which is why we see that Abu Bakr anhu, who did he fight against? Those people who refused to give zakat. That it's not necessary. We don't have to give it. We're still Muslim. We don't have to give it. So this is why he fought against them. Now, we have to further understand this, that umirtu an uqatila. I have been commanded that I have to fight the people until they declare the oneness of Allah. Now, this hadith, it does not mean that the Prophet ﷺ was commanded to fight the people endlessly. Okay, That he had to continue fighting the people. Because if this was the case, then he would have done that. But what do we see in his life? Did he fight from day one till the last day? No, this was not his way. When did he fight? Whenever there was a need. Whenever there was a need, only then he fought. Because we see that there were times during the Prophet ﷺ's life when there were wars, there were other times when peace treaties were in effect, there were other times when Muslims and non-Muslims lived together in Mecca, there was no scene of fighting. In Medina, Muslims and the Jews lived as well. Again, no fighting over there, unless there was a need when they were killed or they were exiled. So we see that during the Prophet ﷺ's life, there were many times when battles were fought and there were other times when battles were not fought. And whenever a battle was fought, it was always for a reason. There were times when even jizya was taken. What is jizya? You have learned about it in Surah Tawbah as well. Hmm? Tax, right? So, this hadith, what it's telling us is that those people 
who don't believe, who don't do these actions, they are in reality not Muslim. They are in a way your adversary. Until they accept Islam or they submit. Until they accept Islam or they submit. And this we should not generalize because we see that in the Quran we learn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Tahreem that لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم Surah Al-Mujadila في الدين ولم يخرجوكم من دياركم أن تبروهم وتقسطوا إليهم that Allah does not forbid you from being good to and being just with who? Those people who do not fight you, who do not harm you. So this is not general that every disbeliever has to be fought against, every disbeliever has to be killed. No, we don't generalize that. Similarly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ was told, إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ بِالْحَقِّ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا Does a Bashir come with a sword? No, the Prophet ﷺ was not sent to kill people. Similarly, we learn, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We have not sent you except as a mercy for the worlds. So he was sent as a mercy, not to kill people. So we must understand this hadith in the proper way. That we see that the ayah is mentioned, which was specific to a particular context, after the conquest of Makkah, when the bara'a was declared, specific context, and then the hadith is mentioned. Because we see that some people, they have gone to one extreme based on this hadith, that they say Islam spread on, you know, on the force of the sword, teaches terrorism, teaches killing people, killing non-Muslims. So this is why we cannot tolerate Islam, we cannot tolerate Muslims. Other people have gone to another extreme, those who are apologetics. And what do they say? Oh, hadith, we don't believe in that. Can you ever imagine the Prophet who was sent as a mercy would ever say these words? People say such things. The Prophet who was sent as a mercy for the world's you cannot imagine that he would say such harsh words. So we see people going to extremes. But if you put everything in perspective, if you put everything in the right context, then there should be no misunderstanding. Everything is clear. The Prophet ﷺ was commanded to fight people when the need arises. And also remember that sometimes certain ahadiths are only to be understood in relation to certain verses. Just as certain verses of the Qur'an are only to be understood in relation to certain ahadith. Meaning, both of them are to be understood together. You cannot take the hadith itself and understand it on its own and then generalize the meaning. No, it's limited to a specific meaning. Just as a verse could be limited to a specific meaning. For example, in the Quran we learn, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا إِذَا جَاءَكُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتُ مُهَاجِرَاتٍ فَامْتَحِنُوهُنَّ Is this applicable to every woman? No. This is relevant to a particular incident that happened in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, where after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when women were coming hmm, as immigrants, then what were you supposed to do? Keep them or return them? This was specific to the events that happened after the Sulh Hudaybiyah. So you cannot understand this ayah in a general sense. You have to understand it in that specific context. Similarly, this hadith also cannot be understood in a general sense. The Prophet ﷺ said he was commanded to fight, so we are supposed to fight non-believers until all of them become Muslim. No. This is not the meaning of the hadith. You have to understand in a specific context. What is that context? That when the need arises... Hmm? And you understand it in relationship to this verse as well. And some scholars, they have said that in this hadith, an-nas is referring to not all mankind, but it's actually referring to the mushrikeen of Arabia. 
It's referring to the Mushrikeen of Arabia. Why? Because the Mushrikeen of Arabia, if they remained in Arabia, if they remained in the Arab Peninsula, what would happen? Could Muslims ever be safe? Could they? No. In Makkah, what happened? In Medina, what happened? After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, what happened? What happened? They constantly harmed the Muslims. As long as the mushrikeen were present, what did they do? They harmed the Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Tawbah, قَاتِلُوا الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَلَا بِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَلَا يُحَرِّمُونَ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَلَا يَدِينُونَ دِينَ الْحَقِّ Similarly, we have learned about the mushrikeen that لَا يَرْقُبُونَ فِي الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِلَّا وَلَا ذِمَّةِ They don't care for the Muslims at all, for the believers at all. You know, whether the believers are relatives to them or there is a treaty between them, they have no respect for any believer. So this is why some scholars have said that Anas is referring to not all mankind, but particularly who? The mushrikeen. Because if they remained, then Muslims could not survive, literally. Muslims were not safe over there. So this is why he was commanded to fight them. And if you think about it, even when the Prophet ﷺ fought other than mushrikeen of Makkah, for example... The Jews. Or for example, the Romans eventually, or the Persians eventually when the Muslims fought them. What was the reason? What did the Romans do? What did they do? You're familiar with the Battle of Mu'tah. You're familiar with the expedition to Tabuk. How they were gathering their forces to come and attack the Muslims and wipe them out. Isn't it so? The Prophet ﷺ sent a letter to the king. But Nothing happened. Similarly, we see that the Persian king, what did he do? He tore apart the letter of the Prophet ﷺ. You know what that means? Declaring war. So, whenever the Prophet ﷺ fought any people, it was always for a reason. It wasn't for no reason. So this is why we have to understand this hadith in that particular context. And we also see that in this hadith it's mentioned, I've been commanded to fight until they surrender. Isn't it so? From a verse in the Qur'an we learn, fight until they give jizya. So the purpose is not to kill them. What's the purpose? Break their power. Break their power. Because if they're giving jizya, what does it mean? They have accepted your authority, your supremacy. You understand? When they are giving jizya, they have accepted your supremacy, your authority. So, and we learn in the ayah, حَتَّى يُعْطُوا الْجِزْيَةَ عَيَّدٍ وَهُمْ صَاغِرُونَ So the objective is to break the power of the enemy. Because if they're powerful, if they have the force, then they will not leave you, they will not spare you. And we learn from another hadith which is reported in Sahih Muslim, Abu Buraida, he narrated that whenever the Prophet ﷺ sent a group of companions to fight for a battle or for an expedition, he would always instruct the Amir as to how he should go about. Don't fight immediately, but rather offer them Islam. Right? Come to terms. And if they agree to give the jizya, then don't fight. Then there's no need to fight. So we see from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, from the various ahadiths, from the various verses of the Qur'an, that Islam does not command us to fight any non-Muslim, any non-believer, no matter who he or she is. Fighting is permissible, is allowed when the need arises. And when does the need arise? When the enemy is harming you. When the enemy is powerful and they're not letting you survive. So at that time, you will fight against them to break their power. Understood? Is this clear now? Now, 
Going back to why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith. This was a big tangent that I went to. And I believe it's very necessary because people misquote this hadith a lot. They misquote this hadith a lot and they generalize it. So it's important that you know. Because it's quite possible that somebody asks you, Oh, you've studied Bukhari? What about this hadith? You think the Prophet could ever have said these words? Hmm? Because people say such things. I remember watching a video of this particular woman who, Allah alam if she's a Muslim or not, but she had a Muslim name. And she was going on and on about this hadith. That Muslims, they say, fight everybody. And she's, Umirtu an uqatil al-nas, umirtu an uqatil al-nas. And I was amazed that how can you generalize? You cannot generalize. You have to understand it in the specific context. So anyway, going back to the purpose of the hadith, what is the purpose? What does this hadith show to us? That Islam is only acceptable when a person performs a salah and gives a zakah. As for their heart, you're not going to judge them. Like for example, it happens sometimes that a person is marrying another who was a non-Muslim. And they say that, okay, fine, I'll become a Muslim. And at the time of the wedding or before the wedding, they're made to say the kalima. Isn't it so? And people say, oh, they became Muslim only for the sake of their marriage. So their Islam is not acceptable. First of all, you're not to judge. And secondly, if they're praying salah, they're giving the zakat, then they are definitely Muslim. You accept them as Muslim. I mean, obviously we're not judging their heart, but we are judging them based on their zahir, on their appearance. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Their hisab is with Allah. Allah will judge them with regards to their heart. This also shows to us that Islam has to be manifested through a person's actions. We cannot just say that, yes, I'm very righteous, I'm very pious, I love Allah. No, you have to do certain actions as well. Because people deal with you based on your apparent, on your actions. So to show your Islam, not to prove it to the people, but to come across as a believer, you have to do these actions. Because sometimes people tell themselves that, you know, salah is a matter between me and my Lord. Allah knows that I'm not going to pray and I'm not going to pray. This is something between me and my Lord. Well, Allah has also told you, you have to pray. And if somebody tells them, pray, they say, no, this is a matter between me and my Lord. No, Allah has told you, you have to pray. And you have to show your Islam to other people as well. Not to show off, but to prove it. So that they can deal with you as a believer. And we see, the Sahaba were praying together. It was time to pray. And one of the people, he did not get up to pray. So the Prophet ﷺ asked, Alasta Musliman, are you not a Muslim? So your salah proves that you are a Muslim. Your zakat proves that you are a Muslim. Certain actions are a requirement of Islam. They are necessary. They cannot be compromised ever. Moving on, next hadith. Bab. Man qala, the one who said, Innal imana, indeed iman, huwa al-amal. It is action. Man qala, who said that, meaning the saying of those people or the opinion of those people who say that indeed iman is action. Why do they say this? Based on what? What's their evidence? لِقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى لِي Lam over here is of ta'leel. Because of the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which statement? وَتِلْكَ الْجَنَّةُ And this is paradise. أَلَّتِي أُورِسْتُمُوهَا Which you have been made to inherit. Why? بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Because of what you used to do. You understand this verse? People will be told in Jannah, this is Jannah that you have inherited. Why? Because of what you used to do. Because of your amal. What's the most important amal for which a person is admitted into Jannah? Iman. 
Because if a person has done every other action except for Iman, will his actions be acceptable? Will he be admitted into Jannah? No. If a person includes in his vocabulary, Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam, inshaAllah, alhamdulillah, mashaAllah, they include all of these things in their vocabulary. Does that mean they have Iman? Not necessarily. Words alone are not sufficient. Dhikr alone is not sufficient. What is necessary? Iman. A person cannot enter Jannah without certain amal. And the first amal that is necessary, that is required is Iman. So, وَتِلْكَ الْجَنَّةُ الَّتِي أُورِثْتُمُوهَا بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ وَقَالَ And he said, who said? عِدَّةٌ A number of. مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ A number of people of knowledge, they have said, فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى فِي meaning concerning, regarding, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which statement of Allah? فَوَرَبِّكَ لَنَسْأَلَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ That so by your Lord, we will definitely question them all together about what they used to do. So many of the people of knowledge, they have said concerning this ayah, that عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ This means what? عَن About قَوْلِ statement لا إله إلا الله ما كانوا يعملون What is it referring to? لا إله إلا الله So the people will definitely be questioned on the Day of Judgment whether they said لا إله إلا الله or not. And if they said it, did they do what it requires, what it demands or not? So many of the people of knowledge have said عما كانوا يعملون refers to what? The قول لا إله إلا الله وَقَالَ And he said, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, لِمِثْلِ هَذَا For the likes of this. What does this refer to? The reward in paradise, the forgiveness. فَلْيَعْمَلْ So he should do. الْعَامِلُونَ Those who do. Those who work. They should do amal in order to get what? In order to get paradise and the rewards that it has. So which amal is necessary? Iman. Because if you don't have iman, all that amal is useless. So what's the bab, what's the chapter heading that Imam Bukhari is giving over here? That idnal imana huwal amal. Iman is action. Iman is action. Now, this should not be misunderstood, the statement, that iman is amal and therefore amal alone is sufficient. Because we have been learning that iman includes amal, right? So for example, salah, dhikr. So if a person says, I do dhikr, I do salah, I am a believer. Even though in his heart he rejects the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't believe in Allah. He doesn't believe in the Day of Judgment. But he prays. He remembers Allah at his tongue. He recites the Qur'an. Is that amal enough? No. Amal is only acceptable with iman. Amal is only acceptable how? With iman. Why? Because amal is in reality result of iman. And if a person does not have the root, does not have the the foundation, the basis, then the branches will not be accepted. Okay, the foundation has to be there. Otherwise, that building is useless. So remember that amal is not accepted without iman. Amal is not accepted without iman. And also that iman is an action. An action of what? An action of the heart. Because it's iqrar, it's acceptance, it's qubul, tasdiq. Where is all of that? Aqidah, where is all of that? In the heart. Okay? And after that amal of qalb, come the amal of jawarih. They are a result. They are a secondary. 
But it doesn't mean they're not important. They are important, but they are secondary. What's primary? What's most necessary? The amal of the qalb. Hadith. Haddathana Ahmad ibn Yunus wa Musa ibn Ismail qala both of them said haddathana Ibrahim ibn Sa'd qala haddathana ibn Shihab an Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib an Abi Hurayrata anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama su'ila he was questioned he was asked ayyu which al-amal deed action afdal best most superior most excellent which action is the best فقال, so he said iman billah belief in allah wa rasulihi and his messenger this action is the best which action belief in allah and his messenger qila it was said summa madha then what meaning what's next what's the next best action qala he replied al jihad fi sabilillah jihad struggling in the way of allah it was said, Summa Mada. Then what? What's next? Kala, he said, Hajjun Maburun. A hajj that is accepted. That's the best deed. That's the best good deed. Now in this hadith, it's very obvious that the Prophet ﷺ called Iman Amal. He was asked which Amal is best, which deed is the best. And what did he say? Iman Billahi wa Rasulihi. So what does this hadith show to us? That iman is in fact amal, is in fact an action, an action of the heart. And iman includes action of the heart as well as action of the limbs. Because we see that the next best action, according to this hadith, is which one? Jihad. And the next best action? Hajj. If you think about it, jihad and hajj both are amalul jawarih. So Imam Bukhari is proving over here that iman is amal, it requires amal, it includes amal. And on the day of judgment, people will be judged on the basis of their amal, of the heart as well as of the jawari. And based on that, they'll be admitted into paradise. Have you heard of another hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ was asked which action is the best and he gave some other answers? As-salatu ala waqtiha. Similarly, taking care of the parents. Another version tells us guarding the hand and the tongue. Right. So there are many versions of this hadith. Does this mean that there is a contradiction in what the Prophet ﷺ is saying? No. It's not a contradiction. Because first of all, it shows to us that many Sahaba, they ask this question. Which deed is the best? What does that teach us about the Sahaba? They're questioning that what kind of questions they asked. They wanted to do the best of actions. Not just any, but the best. And secondly, we see that when the Prophet ﷺ responded to them, he responded to them based on the circumstances and the situation of that particular companion as well. Imagine there is a companion who was not that well off. And if he asked the Prophet ﷺ, which deed is the best? And if the Prophet ﷺ told him, going for hajj or jihad fi sabilillah, could he do it? Won't he be left out? But if he was told, as-salatu ala waqtiha, could he do that? Yes. Similarly, if the time, if the season was of Hajj, if the time was to go for a battle, and somebody asked which deed is the best, and if the Prophet ﷺ told them, As-salatu ala waqtiha, then what would they say? I'm not going for the jihad or Hajj because my salah, you know, I'm gonna have to join them, I'm gonna, might have to delay them, so I'm not gonna go, I'll stay here and I'll pray. 
So, this teaches us about the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. How when he taught the Sahaba, he taught them what was relevant to their situation, their circumstances. He taught them practical things, what they could actually do, what they could actually apply. There are many such hadiths which teach us about how the Prophet ﷺ told one thing to one companion and another thing to another companion. Because he only taught what people could do. He would not overburden them with knowledge. That where amal should be paid attention to, iman should also be paid attention to. Because sometimes we only focus on, for example, memorizing or reading or doing one action after the other and we neglect the heart. The heart should not be neglected. It should also be given attention. That we see that if in one situation the Prophet ﷺ said the best deed is iman billahi wa rasulihi, in another situation, he said the best deed is as-salatu ala waqtiha. This shows us that a deed is best given the situation and the time in which it is performed. A'mal, deeds are various levels. Yes, there are. Some are more superior to others. But what makes an action more superior, one of the factors is what? The circumstances in which it was done. The situation in which it was done. For example, if a person remembers Allah, does dhikr, sitting on the prayer mat, no pain in their body, huh? they have free time, nothing to worry about, they're doing dhikr. Okay, they're doing dhikr. They're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. There is another person who is in pain, who is suffering, who's going through hardship, and he remembers Allah at that time. He doesn't forget to do dhikr at that time. He still remembers. Isn't that much better? So both the deeds, in a way, they are the same. But because both of them were performed in different situations, one became more superior to the other. So we should not just worry about the action itself, but also the situation, the circumstances in which we are performing them. Because sometimes we take it very easy. We say, oh, I'm in a difficult situation, forget it, it's okay. You know, overcome that hardship or do it with that hardship and the reward will be much greater. The expedition to the book when a sahabi brought only a handful of dates, how valuable they were. This is why we see that a person who gives charity, while he fears poverty, that's the best sadaqah. Isn't it? Why? Because in that situation, that deed is indeed very great. That we see that where actions are important, iman billahi wa rasuli is also very important. Many times we focus on the actions, but we neglect la ilaha illallah. Because the best deed is what? Iman billahi wa rasulihi. Iman billahi wa rasulihi. That should not be neglected. So how is Iman billahi wa rasulihi most afdal of all deeds? How? Why? Because if Iman billahi wa rasulihi is there, then the rest of the deeds will be accepted. This is why it's the most important, the most superior, the most excellent. If that is not there, Everything else is useless. If a person performs various good deeds, being charitable, smiling, fulfilling promises, you know, helping other people, but if iman is not there, then all such deeds will be useless. فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْسُورًا That iman billah alone is not sufficient. But along with iman billah, what is necessary? وَرَسُولِهِ And obviously, believing in Allah and His Messenger means believing in everything that they have also informed us of. And notice how the, the next best deed is which one? Al-jihad fi sabilillah. Struggling in the way of Allah.
Because in this, a person is doing extra. Isn't it so? He is not just concerned about his own personal life, but he is concerned about the Muslim community. Not just Muslim community, mankind at large. Because jihad, remember, is done in two ways. In Surah Tawbah, that's what we learn. One is that in the battlefield and the other is through ilm of Quran and Sunnah. So when a person pursues either of these two ways, he's concerned about other people. He's doing something extra. So it's the best deed. And it requires a lot from a person. It requires his energy. It requires his wealth. It requires everything from him. His sweat, his blood, everything. Quite literally and also metaphorically as well. That when a person accepts iman, then his jihad begins. Because he has to struggle so much in learning, in practicing, in implementing, that we see that iman is a difference between a non-believer doing good deeds and a believer doing good deeds. A believer is doing perhaps the same good deeds, but with iman. A non-believer is doing the same good deeds, but without iman. One person's actions accepted, the other person's actions rejected. So what is the best deed then? Iman billahi wa rasuli. And the third one that's mentioned over here is Hajj Mabrur. What does it mean by Mabrur? It's from Bir. Hmm? And what does Bir mean? Righteousness. So Mabrur is that which is full of Bir. And when Hajj is full of Bir, meaning full of good deeds, then that Hajj is acceptable. Hajj in which there is no La Rafath, Wala Fusuq, Wala Jidal. That Hajj is Hajj Mabrur. Bab chapter إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنِ الْإِسْلَامُ إِذَا when لَمْ يَكُنْ It is not الْإِسْلَامُ Islam عَلَى الْحَقِيقَةِ عَلَى upon الْحَقِيقَةِ What does حَقِيقَةِ mean? Reality. Right? In actuality. So when Islam is not in حَقِيقَةِ Meaning it's not actual. In other words, a person's Islam is not genuine. A person's Islam is not genuine. وَكَانَ And it is عَلَى upon الاستسلام استسلام submission أو الخوف or fear من القتل of killing of being killed so when a person's Islam is not genuine but rather it is why just for submission or just out of fear of being killed so such Islam is not from the heart isn't it so? it's not genuine Islam لقوله تعالى because of the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala قَالَتِ الْأَعْرَابُ آمَنَّا The Bedouins say, we have believed. قُلْ say, لَمْ تُؤْمِنُوا You have not believed. وَلَكِنْ قُولُوا أَسْلَمْنَا Rather say that we have submitted. So this ayah shows to us that a person may submit, may accept Islam, but that Islam is not genuine, meaning he doesn't accept in his heart. He only submits on the outward. Why? Out of fear. فَإِذَا كَانَ عَلَى الْحَقِيقَةِ When it is in reality, it is in actuality Islam, meaning it is genuine Islam, فَهُوَ Then it is based on عَلَى قَوْلِهِ Upon his statement, جَلَّ ذِكْرُهُ Exalted is his mention, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ الدِّينَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ الْإِسْلَامِ Indeed, the religion near Allah is Islam, meaning the only acceptable religion is Islam. What does this show to us? Imam Bukhari is mentioning two points over here. What he's trying to prove here is that the term Islam is used in two ways. In Quran and Sunnah. What are those two ways? First of all, 
submission and secondly deen okay the term islam can be used in two ways first of all in its literal sense lughawi islam that is lughawi literally what's the linguistic meaning of the word islam to submit so it is when a person is just submitting he is just obeying on the outward there is no faith actually in the heart the second meaning of islam is islam that is shar'i what does it mean by that valid belief when a person accepts in his heart okay and we see that the word islam is used in both meanings sometimes it's referring to just submission and sometimes it's referring to actual islam actual deen on the outward surrender obey like for example a person to submits on the outward he starts praying with the rest of the people he gives zakat as well he does what other people are doing just to show that he is a muslim so he has submitted on the outward like the munafiqeen did but in the heart there is no iman there is no faith there is no true islam so the term islam is used in both ways sometimes linguistically and sometimes the shar'i meaning sometimes it means just mere submission and other times it means religion of islam genuine islam so what's the evidence that islam is used for in its literal meaning the ayah in the quran that qalat al-a'rabu amanna qul lam tu'minu walakin qulu aslamna they said oh we are believers we are believers the hypocrites allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says say to them that no you have not actually believed you should say aslamna we have just surrendered we have just submitted because that's your reality you don't have any faith in your heart walamma yadkhul al-iman fi qulubikum and what's the evidence that the term islam is also used as shar'i meaning the religion of islam genuine islam when a person has actually submitted from the heart and also on the outward the ayah inna dina indallahil islam and also the ayah we learn in the quran wa man yabtaghi ghayra al-islam dinan falan yuqbala minhu so these are the two meanings of islam what's the hadith haddathana abu al-yamani qala akhbarana shu'ayb an az-zuhri قال أخبرني عامر بن سعد بن أبي وقاص عن سعد رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم أعطى he gave رحطا a group a group of people the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was giving to them giving them what distributing wealth amongst them the word رحط is used for a group that is numbered between three and ten any ayah of the Quran that has the word رحط in it وَكَانَ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ تِسْعَةُ رَهْطٍ تِسْعَةٌ What does تِسْعَةٌ mean? Nine. So number between three and ten. So, أَعْطَى رَهْطٌ There were a group of people sitting by the Prophet ﷺ and he was giving them. وَسَعْدٌ جَالِسٌ And Sa'd, he was sitting there as well. Who is Sa'd? Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas because he is narrating this. So he was sitting over there. This group was there. The Prophet ﷺ was distributing something amongst these people. فَتَرَكَ So he left. Who left? رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ رَجُلًا The Prophet ﷺ left out one man, meaning he did not give anything to him. And this man, who he was, أَعْجَبُهُمْ إِلَيَّ أَعْجَبُ What does it mean? Not strange. Most? Impressive. Meaning the one whom I liked the most. Remember I told you that عَجْب is of two types. One is of inkar and the other is of istihsan. Istihsan is when you find something amazing, impressive, and you like it. Okay, the most impressive. And the other is the most weird, and because of that you reject it. So, أَعْجَبُهُمْ إِلَيَّ 
meaning the most impressive of them to me, meaning the one whom I liked the most of them. The one whom I liked the most from those people. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't give anything to that man. فَقُلْتُ So I said, meaning Sa'ad ibn Waqas, he's narrating, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, that فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah, مَا لَكَ عَنْ فُلَانٍ مَا لَكَ عَنْ فُلَانٍ Meaning, what about that person? How come you did not give it to that person? Okay? مَا what لَكَ for you عَنْ about فُلَانٍ Meaning, how could you leave that person? Why did you not give anything to that person? فَوَاللَّهِ So by Allah, إِنِّي لَأَرَاهُ مُؤْمِنًا Indeed, I surely see him as a mu'min, as a believer. How come you did not give anything to him? فَقَالَ So he said, أَوْ مُسْلِمًا Or just a Muslim. فَسَكَتُّ So I became quiet. سَكَتُّ سِينْ كَافْتَ I became quiet قَلِيلًا For a little while. ثُمَّ غَلَبَنِي Then it overpowered me. What? ما أعلم What I knew منه about him. About who? About that man. فَعُدْتُ So I repeated. لِمَقَالَتِي My statement. I repeated my statement. فَقُلْتُ So I said, مَا لَكَ عَنْ فُلَانٍ فَوَاللَّهِ إِنِّي لَأَرَاهُ مُؤْمِنًا How come you did not give anything to him? By Allah, I see him as a believer. فَقَالَ So he said, أَوْ مُسْلِمًا Or just a Muslim. ثُمَّ غَلَبَنِي مَا أَعْلَمُ مِنْهُ Then again, it overpowered me, it overcame me, what I knew about him. فَعُدْتُ لِمَقَالَتِي So I repeated my statement. وَعَادَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ And he also repeated his statement. Which statement? أَوْ مُسْلِمًا ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, يَا سَعْد O سَعْد إِنِّي Indeed I لَأُعْطِي Surely I give الرَّجُلَ A man. I give to a man. وَغَيْرُهُ And someone other than him is أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْهُ is more beloved to me than him. I give to one man and I don't give to the other. The one whom I leave out, whom I don't give anything to, he is more beloved to me than the person whom I am giving to. Inni la rajul. I give to a person. Wagairuhu and someone other than him is a habbu ilayaminhu, more beloved to me than him. I love him more than I love the person whom I am giving the things to. Why? Khashyata. Out of fear. An that yakubbahu. Yakubbahu. He will throw him on his face. Who will throw him on his face? Allahu Allah. Where? Finnar in the fire. Out of fear that Allah will throw that person on his face into the fire. وَرَوَاهُ يُونُسُ وَصَالِحٌ وَمَعْمَرٌ وَبْنُ أَخِي الزُّهْرِيِّ عَنِ الزُّهْرِي These people have also narrated this hadith from Az-Zuhri. What does this hadith mean? We see that the Prophet ﷺ routinely distributed wealth, spoils amongst who? Amongst the people. The people included the Muhajirin, as well as the Ansar, as well as newcomers to Islam. Remember, in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ distributed certain spoils of war only amongst who? The Muhajirin. Which one was that? Which mal was that? The Fay. Remember the Fay? It was only distributed amongst the Muhajiri, not the Ansar. They were not given anything out of it. Similarly, we see at the conquest of Makkah, when all of the spoils were brought in from where? Especially after the battle of Hunayn. Remember from Al-Ta'if, all of the spoils were brought in and the Prophet ﷺ distributed it amongst who? People who had accepted Islam at that point. 
and he did not give anything to the Ansar. Isn't it so? And they felt left out. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say to them? Huh? That you have me. Won't you like that? That people return to their homes with their goats and sheep and you return to your home with the Messenger of Allah. So there were certain times when he preferred some people in giving wealth. Meaning he gave to them and he did not give to others. Why? This hadith tells us why. That the Prophet ﷺ said that I give to one man and leave another who is more beloved to me out of fear that Allah might throw him into the fire. Who does him refer to? يَكُبَّهُ اللَّهُ فِي النَّارِ Who does him refer to? This can be understood in two ways. First of all, the person whom the Prophet ﷺ gave to. Generally, the Prophet ﷺ would give to who? The newcomers. And especially at this occasion as well, who was he giving to? Newcomers, people who had recently accepted Islam. Why would the Prophet ﷺ give to them? Why? Mu'allafa لِقُلُوبِهِمْ Remember in Surah Tawbah also we have learned about zakat, that zakat money can also be given to people whose hearts have to be inclined towards Islam. So the newcomers, those who are weak in their faith, they need some encouragement. They need some incentive. They need instant reward so that they can become stable. So the Prophet ﷺ would give to them and he would leave out other companions who were already stable in their faith. Because the newcomers, if you don't give to them, what's going to happen? They're going to say, there's no benefit in Islam. I have to pray five times a day. I have to give zakat. And there's so many hardships. I'm being tested in every way possible. It's only brought difficulty to me. So if this person is given some wealth, what's going to happen? He's going to feel good. Isn't it? This is not a bribe. But this is just to make him comfortable. Because tahaddu tahabu. Isn't it so? At least the people would have this feeling, oh, the Prophet ﷺ cares for us. Yes, I'm going through this hardship, but at least he cares for us. He's concerned about us. So he would give to the newcomers. Why? Because of their weakness. Okay? And out of fear that Allah would throw him into the fire. That if Islam became difficult for him, if he found it too challenging, he would leave Islam. And then as a result, he'll be thrown into the fire. So to stabilize his faith, to make him more firm in his faith, the Prophet ﷺ would give him. Secondly, Yakubahu, who may also be referring to the man whom the Prophet ﷺ did not give to. And who are they? Those who are already stable. And why would he not give something to him? Out of fear that Allah would throw him into the fire. What does it mean? that that wealth would become a fitna for him. It would become a trial for him, a test for him in his religion. Because what would happen is that when he would gain that wealth, he would perhaps think highly of himself. Or he would get so involved in enjoying that wealth that he would neglect the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He would neglect his deen. Because it happens. Some people, they get very much affected by money. And other people, they're not that affected. Some people, instantly, there's a change in the way they walk, in the way they talk, in the way they behave, in the way they dress up, in the places they go, in the places they don't go to, in the car they drive, the car they don't drive. Other people, they're unaffected. For some people, wealth becomes a fitna. And other people, it does not become a fitna. Just recently, somebody was telling me about this person they met. And this woman, her husband was a Wall Street banker. Just imagine, I mean, any person who's worked there, you can imagine what kind of money they have. And this woman, she dresses up so simply as if 
she's an ordinary person. She drives a car that's perhaps five or six years old, not an amazing car. From nowhere can you tell that this woman is a wife of so-and-so person, not affected by the money at all. And other people, they don't even have enough money. They're driving cars that they cannot afford. They're wearing jewelry they cannot afford. Isn't it? So this is this is normal. It happens. It happens. And iman or no iman, still it may happen. A person may have iman and he still may get into the fitna of wealth. And a person may not have iman and wealth may not affect him in any way. It may not change him in any way. Okay? Because sometimes we think, oh, if a person has iman, then wealth should not affect him. No. It's normal for a person to get affected. Some people, you know, people have this weakness. Other people don't have that weakness. So anyway, you understand what it means by يَكُبَّهُ اللَّهُ فِي النَّارِ So one thing the Prophet ﷺ explained to Sa'ad who was this. The second thing that he taught him was that he should not make a statement regarding the inner intention of a person. The Prophet ﷺ differentiated between Iman and Islam in this hadith. When Sa'ad was repeatedly calling him Mu'min, Mu'min, the Prophet ﷺ said, no, Muslim, Muslim. Does that mean that that person was not a mu'min? We don't know. We don't know. Because where is iman? In the heart. And where is Islam? On the zahir. On the apparent. So when we meet another person, we don't say, oh that person is a jannati. No. If a person is very righteous, we don't say that person is from the dwellers of paradise. We don't know the state of the heart. We don't know the final outcome. We don't know the sincerity of faith. We are to talk about people based on what? Their zahir. And we cannot make judgments about them. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ corrected him, Aw Musliman, that it's more appropriate to use the term Muslim for a believer. Okay? Except for obviously the Sahaba, we know that they were radiallahu anhum wa an. No doubt about that. But for other people, don't say, oh she's a mu'min, but I think she's only a Muslim. We don't do that. We talk about all the believers as what? Muslim. Okay? Now this hadith teaches us a number of lessons. First of all, this hadith teaches us about the permissibility of not giving something to someone, even though it may be very good. But you don't give it to them. Why? In order to save their deen. In order to protect them from fitna. People are different. Some people, they live on praise, appreciation, reward system. And other people, they get corrupted because of praise and rewards. Isn't it? And too much of anything is bad. For example, children, if you keep rewarding them, take this bite and I'll give you a candy. Huh? Let's go and I'll give you this chocolate. Then what's going to happen? They're going to need a reward for everything that they do. Isn't it? And if you don't praise them at all, if you don't reward them at all, then they're going to feel horrible about themselves. They're going to think, I'm never good enough. So balance is required. However, Every person, you know, some people, they thrive when they're praised. They excel when they're praised. And other people, if you praise them, they will slack off. Some people, if you don't praise them, they will not do anything. If you don't reward them, they will not do anything. Other people, if you reward them, they will think, ah, they're so good. They don't need to do anything extra. So deal with people according to how they are. And for this, a person needs farsightedness, wisdom, and understanding the other person as well. You have to understand the other person. What's their nature? How are they? What are they like? And generally we see that 
from this hadith as well that who needs praise who needs reward someone who is hmm? newer or weak is at the edge or is going through some difficulty some hardship which could push him off which could make him fall and who does not need praise or reward who someone who's already stable because if you praise them sometimes or if you give them a reward it might break them it might destroy them it might ruin them it might corrupt their intention for example people of knowledge what happens that shaitan comes to them how you know telling them that oh you have so much knowledge look everybody's praising you everybody's looking up to you so it makes them arrogant it corrupts their intention and ruins them like for example a person may be a reciter of the quran hmm? but on the day of judgment he'll be brought and he'll be thrown into the hellfire why because he recited but his intention was not correct it's quite possible that what corrupted his intention was the constant praise that he got from people the constant appreciation that he got from people so limit your praise limit your reward that you give to other people give it only when necessary and only when relevant and give it to those who need it because if you give it to those who don't need it you're corrupting them but it doesn't mean that someone who is doing good you don't praise them at all like for example we say oh these people they've been studying here for almost 2 years expect every difficult thing from them never praise them No because people are human being after all isn't it so every person needs you know a slight pat on the hand that you're doing well alhamdulillah this was good okay because if you leave praise all together even that is not good so balance is necessary another important thing that we learn from this hadith is the difference between iman and islam because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam differentiated between the two here hmm? what is the difference between the two is there a difference Okay iman is inside the heart and where is islam on the outward on the appearance okay yes good jibril asked the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam what is islam what is iman and what is ihsan so this shows to us there is a difference between islam iman and ihsan now in certain situations islam and iman they both mean the same thing in other situations Iman means something else, Islam means something else. Just as the term Islam, Imam Bukhari proved it over here that at certain times Islam refers to outward submission, other times Islam refers to actual real submission. So these terms Islam and Iman, sometimes they refer to the same thing, other times they are different. A difference is made between the two. And we see that Islam is on the outward and Iman is on the inside. Iman is in the qalb and Islam is in the jawarih iman is sir secret and islam is alania iman is hidden and islam is is manifest we learn in surah az-zariyat ayah 35 36 now you tell me how to understand this that if iman is on the inside islam is on the outside iman is hidden islam is apparent then how do we understand these verses that with regards to lut al islam and his people allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says fa akhrajna man kana fiha min al mu'minin فَمَا وَجَدْنَا فِيهَا غَيْرَ بَيْتٍ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فَأَخْرَجْنَا مَنْ كَانَ فِيهَا مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ We brought out, we took out from there whoever was a believer, mu'min. But we did not find in there, meaning in that city, غَيْرَ بَيْتٍ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Only one house of Muslims. There was only one house of Muslims. And all the believers, all the mu'mineen were taken out. That we see, on the outward there was in reality only one house of muslims who had apparently submitted including lut alayhi salam his daughters as well as 
his wife. Outwardly, they had submitted. But what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? فَأَخْرَجْنَا مَنْ كَانَ فِيهَا مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Only the believers were taken out. Who were the believers? Who had also submitted on the inside? Who had true iman? And his wife was excluded from that. She was not a part of that. So we see there is a difference between iman and Islam. Iman is inside. Islam is outside. Iman is faith. Islam is Islam is actions. That we see that iman also has levels. Okay, rather you can say that Islam is the basic level. Then comes iman. Then comes ihsan. Islam is just submission, acceptance. Iman from the heart, and then all of these branches of iman. Because a person may be a Muslim, but he's not necessarily performing all of these actions, like haya, okay, all of these branches of faith that we learned about, isn't it so? And then comes ihsan. So there are levels. A person grows gradually. So in this hadith, that difference has been made between iman and Islam. So iman is one thing, and Islam is something different. The Sahaba that we know about, that his name is not mentioned here. We don't know who he was, what his name was, what he did. But it just teaches us a basic etiquette that we are not to judge people. We are to accept people as Muslims. We don't say, she's a muhsin and she's a mu'min and she's a muttaqi and she's this. No. We are not allowed to label people. Just as we don't go on labeling people as mu'min or muhsin, we don't even go on labeling people as kafir or fasiq so on and so forth. We are no authority. Because the fact is that people may change. Isn't it? And you don't know about that change. You say someone is a mu'min and Allahu alam, they may have nifaq. They might develop nifaq. You don't know. But those who have died on Islam, like the sahaba, radiallahu anhum wa an, about them, we say they are mu'min, okay? You may have heard, some of you, about this debate, if somebody asks you, are you a mu'min? What do you say? Have you heard of this? No? What do you say? I am a mu'min, inshallah. Because you're not to say about somebody else, he's a mu'min. Then how can you say about yourself, yes, I am a mu'min? You can't say that. Okay? But you can say, inshallah, if Allah wills, if Allah wants, I'll become a better believer. Anyway, let's continue. Bab ifsha'u salami min al-islam. Ifsha'. What does ifsha' mean? To spread. To propagate. So ifsha'u salam, propagating the greetings, greeting widely, is min al-islam. It is a part of Islam. Ifsha'u salam. Spreading salam means spreading it amongst the people. How do you spread it amongst people? By initiating it. By responding to it. By greeting those whom you know, by greeting those whom you don't know, by greeting people as you're going up the stairs, or you're coming down the stairs, you're walking, or you're sitting, any place you're in, anywhere you are in, when you meet someone, when you greet someone, when you come across someone, what does it mean? That you say salam. And saying salam, initiating it or responding to it, what is that? Spreading the salam. Propagating it. In writing. Similarly in speech, there are different ways. So propagating the greeting, this is what? Min al-Islam. This is a part of Islam. وَقَالَ عَمَّارٌ And Ammar said, this is Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhu. 
He said, this is his own statement. Okay, We don't understand this as a hadith, but this is a statement that Ammar ibn Yasir said. Salasun, three qualities. Man, whoever, jama'ahunna, he collected them. Whoever collects, meaning has, all these three qualities in him, فَقَدْ جَمَعَ iman. Then in fact he has gathered iman, meaning he has collected iman. Whoever has these three qualities, then in fact he has iman, in other words. And iman Islam, we know that sometimes it can also be used interchangeably. First of all, الْإِنصَافُ مِن نَفْسِكَ الْإِنصَافُ Justice مِن نفسك, Against yourself or with yourself. Secondly, وَبَذْلُ salami And spreading the salam. Lil'alam For the world. Meaning for all people. وَالْإِنفَاقُ And spending مِنَ الْإِقْتَارِ مِنَ الْإِقْتَارِ Instead of What is iqtar? Stinginess. So spending instead of being stingy. وَالْإِنفَاقُ مِنَ الْإِقْتَارِ so whoever has these three qualities, and in fact he has iman. First quality, al-insafu min nafsik. What does it mean by this? Insaf min nafsik. Being just against oneself. Meaning being just even if it means you have to stand up against yourself. You have to do something or say something that's going to harm you. This is just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, kunu qawwamina bilqist, shuhada'a lillahi walaw ala anfusikum. So al-insaf min nafsik. It is to deal with others the way they deserve to be dealt with. Even if it means you're doing something to harm yourself. Even if it means you're going to suffer in that process. Even if it means you're going to be embarrassed or you are going to be deprived. Can you give me an example of that? Say the truth even if you're going to suffer the consequences. What else? That a lady named Fatima, she stole... Something in the Prophet ﷺ said that if my daughter stole, then I would also give the punishment to her. Anything else? That for example, you're waiting in a queue. okay, And your friend happens to be the second person. I mean, they, their turn is second. And they say, come here, come here, stand, uh, you know, stand right behind me, stand with me. But you should be just over there. Just with other people. Even if it means it's going to go against you. You could get priority. But is that fair? It's not fair. For the people who have been standing there for so long, admitting your mistake, asking for forgiveness, recognizing your mistake. So for example, you go to a store, you're buying something, and let's say the cashier, they make a mistake. They don't charge you for something. They give you double discount on something. And you realize, either at that time or later on, so what should you do? Go back and give the money back or pay for it. That if you're in a parking lot and you open your door and you end up denting somebody else's car, so be just over there. Be fair over there. Leave a note. Leave your contact information. You know, it's amazing. You go to the grocery store and you find a bag with broccoli in it. Where? In the clothing area? In the dairy section? And you wonder, why is this broccoli over here? Or you find a lot of stuff right by the cash? Isn't it? So you pick up something and halfway, you're like, no, I don't need it. So just leave it there. Yeah, somebody else will come and put it away. It's their job anyway. Be just. If you leave it there, you think they're going to open up the bag and put it back in the pile? No, it's probably going to go to the garbage. It's going to be wasted. 
So just as you don't like the children pick up one thing from here and they leave it somewhere else, don't do the same thing in somebody else's property, with somebody else's things. So, al-insaf min nafsik. Be just, stand for justice, even if it's against yourself. This is a part of iman. If a person has this, then he has iman. And this can also be understood in another way. That being just with oneself. What does it mean by that? That sometimes people are not fair with themselves. Either they go to the extreme of not forgiving any mistake or error or shortcoming or negligence at all. Rare examples, but there are. That people don't forgive themselves. People are not easy with themselves. That they think, if I didn't do good on this test, that's it. I'm not going to take this course because I don't want to fail. I'm an excellent student. I've always been an excellent student. I cannot tolerate taking only 70%. No, I have to take 90%. If I cannot take 90%, I'm not doing this. Be easy with yourself. When you were taking 90%, perhaps you do not have a lot of workload. Perhaps it was stuff that you were already familiar with. Perhaps your circumstances allowed you to study more. And now your situation is different. And if you cannot get a 90, at least you can get 70. So don't kill yourself over getting 90. Be just with yourself. Let go. If we try to do something, we want to do it in the excellent way possible. And it's good. You should definitely have a high standard for yourself. But if for a genuine reason you're not able to, don't hold on to that forever. That thinking, I'm not capable. I'm never going to do this again. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. No. Be fair with yourself. Be just with yourself. Do what you're able to do. Do what you're able to do. Realize your ability. Realize your capacity. And don't leave everything just because you think you're not going to do it. Because we think if we cannot do it in the best way, then we're not going to do it at all. If I cannot do it perfectly, then I'm not going to do it. Like for example, if we're cleaning. If I start cleaning, that means I have to finish it. And if I cannot finish it, I'm not going to start it. And since I know I'm not going to be able to finish it, therefore I'm not going to start it. Be fair with yourself. You're learning how to cook. Somebody criticizes you like that, said, I'm not cooking again. Forgive yourself. Other people forgive you, but you don't forgive yourself. So be fair with yourself. Other times people go to another extreme, which is that they're too easy with themselves. It's okay. I'm passing. It's okay. It's edible. Nobody's going to die if they eat this food. It's okay. My house is not that dirty. There are no roaches. There are no cobwebs. It's okay. We can survive. No. Be fair. Okay? So, al-insaf min nafsik. Be fair with yourself. And you can only be fair with yourself when you recognize your ability, when you understand your circumstances, and when you have a higher goal, when you have a greater goal, when you actually want to achieve something. That we learned in the previous hadith that was mentioned, that for some people, one particular good deed was best. And for other people, another good deed was best. So every person's situation is different. Don't compare yourself to others all the time. Don't compare yourself to the best student in the class, for example, because she may be single, she may not have children, she may have no responsibilities at home. This may be the only thing she's doing full time. So don't compare yourself with them. Be just with yourself. So al-insaf min nafsik. Second point is, وَبَذْلُ salami lil'alam. Spreading the salam for the world. Meaning greeting everybody. Greeting everybody. And we have discussed earlier with regards to greeting Muslims, greeting non-Muslims. And thirdly, وَالْإِنْفَاقُ مِنَ الْإِقْتَارِ Infaq, spending. 
من الاقتار What does it mean by this? اقتار literally means to have little, to have less. So, الانفاق من الاقتار What does it mean? That spending, even when, one meaning is that even when a person has little, even when a person is poor, spending, even when a person has little, even when he is poor, and a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ verifies this when he was asked which sadaqah was best, what did he say? Al-juhdul muqil. The one who has little and still he, he strives hard to give whatever he can. So spending even in poverty. Second meaning of this is Al-infaq min al-iqtar. Iqtar means stinginess. Like we learn in the Quran, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَنفَقُوا لَمْ يُسْرِفُوا وَلَمْ they're not extravagant, nor are they stingy. So iqtar is stinginess. So what does it mean by this then? That al-infaq min al-iqtar. Min over here gives the meaning of instead of. Min is of different types as well. You're familiar with some types. Sometimes min is also of badl. Giving the meaning of instead of. Like we learn in the Quran, وَلَوْ نَشَاءُ لَجَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ مَلَائِكَةً فِي الْأَرْضِ يَخْلُفُونَ if we willed, we could have made minkum malaikatan fil ardi yakhlufun. Does it mean from you, you would give birth to angels? No. What does it mean by minkum? Instead of you. In place of you. So al-infaq min al-iqtar. Spending instead of being stingy. What's the opposite of spending? Being stingy. So spend instead of being stingy. So a person who has these three characteristics, then what do we learn from the statement of Umar ibn Yasir? That he has, he has iman, he has collected iman. Why these three qualities? What does the first quality show? If a person is just with himself, he will be just with others. If a person stands for justice, what's the greatest justice? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be given his haqq. So he will give the haqq of Allah, he will give the haqq of people. If he gives the right of others, even if he has to suffer, then he will do what is required of him. Secondly, spreading salam. What does that lead to? Many good things. Love, unity, peace. And the third quality, spending. Because a person who will spend in poverty, will he spend when he has a lot? Of course he will. If he is giving when he has very little, of course he will give when he has more. Isn't it so? And giving includes many things. It's not just about giving money to the poor, but it means spending on your relatives as well, your family as well, your friends as well. Giving person, generous person. And not just giving money, but time, advice, food, different things. So these three characteristics... What are they? Characteristics of Iman. When a person has them, that means he has Iman. What's the hadith? حدثنا قتيبة قال حدثنا الليث عن يزيد بن أبي حبيب عن أبي الخير عن عبد الله بن عمر أن رجلا سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أي الإسلام خير. A man asked the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم which Islam is best. Meaning which part of Islam, which Character of Islam is the best. Qala he said, تُطْعِمُ الطَّعَامِ That you feed the food, meaning you give food. وَتَقْرَأُ السَّلَامِ And you say the salam. عَلَى مَنْ عَرَفْتَ Upon those whom you recognize. وَمَنْ لَمْ تَعْرِفْ And those whom you do not recognize. 
obviously feeding food over here. Which type is that? That which is from Islam, not Israf. Okay? Feeding food properly, not with Israf. That a person is just giving food to the point that he's wasting food. Hmm? Or he's doing it for the sake of showing off. But he's doing it for the right reason, in the right manner, where needed. Then it would be from Islam. Then it would be the best quality. وَتَقْرَأُ السَّلَامَ عَلَى مَنْ عَرَفْتَ وَمَنْ لَمْ تَعْرِفْ That you say the salam, meaning you say assalamu alaykum. And this means that you initiate the greeting as well as that you respond to the greeting. And when a person initiates or responds to the greeting, then what does that show? His humility. His good character. It leads to a conversation. It leads to many good things. Because if you ignore someone, you don't say salam to them, or you don't respond to their greeting, then what does that mean? Something's wrong. Isn't it? Either in you or in them, according to you. The first statement is not the hadith, but rather it is an asr. It's a statement of a companion. Okay, وَقَالَ عَمَّارٌ That if you combine all of these five characteristics that are mentioned over here, first in the asr, and second in the hadith, then it shows a very giving personality, like you're giving constantly, whether it is salam, or it is justice, or it is somebody else's right, or it is food. Hmm? And these actions cannot be done, you cannot be a giving person, unless you have iman in Allah. That if I give to somebody else, Allah will also give me. That if I give salam, if I say salam, if I respond to the greeting, Allah will reward me. Yes, I don't know this person, but saying salam brings reward. So a person can only perform these actions when he hopes for reward from Allah, when he has iman. What it means is whether you recognize somebody or you don't recognize somebody. For example, I know you. If I see you in the hallway, I should say salam to you. But if I see a guest who's walked into Al-Huda for the first time, I don't recognize them. I've never met them. Okay, I don't know their name. I don't know what they do. I don't know why they're here. But should I say salam to them? Yes, I should. Because alaman arafta wa man lam ta'rif. You know and you don't know. And whether you like them or you don't like them, still greet them. Because you don't like them, you know them at least. Okay? You like them, you know them. So the condition is whether you know or you don't know. Not you like or you don't like. When you make dua for others, then angels also pray for you. When you say salam to someone, then Allah also sends peace upon you. If they don't respond, it's okay. You did your part. You did your part. And many times you will see that people will respond. And they will feel comfortable around you. They will smile back and they will not feel all tensed and worried and, you know, strange people here. I don't know. I feel like such an outsider. No. When you greet someone you don't know, you're welcoming them. You're making them feel comfortable. That when a person gives, whether it's salam or food, then he can only do this with the conviction that by giving, he will not decrease in any way. He will only gain more. Does it take a lot of energy to say assalamu alaikum? A lot of courage sometimes? Yes, it does. It takes courage, isn't it? But you can only give it when you know that you're not going to decrease. Allah will give you more. That we see that if somebody greets you with a smile, all of a sudden you feel alert and active and happy. They smile at you, you smile at them. And you never know, you're saying salam to someone, you're greeting them with a smile. 
may make them happy and may make them do something which might be a sadaqah jariya for you because it makes them more energetic. That we learn from the hadith that you cannot enter paradise until you love one another. And the Prophet ﷺ said, should I tell you about how you can love one another? Afshus salam abaynakum. Spread salam amongst yourselves. When you spread salam, then you will love one another. You will be happier people. You will be more comfortable people. There will be no tension, no awkwardness. Get rid of that awkwardness. Get rid of that tension so that you can work freely. You can be relaxed. It makes you feel good that you're one ummah. You belong to the same nation. You belong to the same community. One thing that I'd like to mention over here is that this hadith we learned earlier as well. Isn't it? But what was Imam Bukhari proving over there? What is a part of Iman? It'amu ta'ami. Isn't it? So before he mentioned this hadith to prove what? It'amu ta'am. And now he's mentioned this hadith to prove what? Ifsha'u salam. So the same hadith is being mentioned, but the objective is different. The purpose is different. So remember this rule. That whenever Imam Bukhari repeats a hadith, it's always for a different objective, another reason. Because later on you will find that a hadith comes like once, twice, thrice. And you wonder, why? Why is it coming again and again? Because he's proving different, different points. Okay, and many times remember that the chain of narration is also different. Is it different in this one? So it's different. And this shows the great amount of knowledge that he possessed. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته